All right, so last week we kicked off our new message series. It was on the study of the book of Colossians. And so we titled this series, Rooted, because we really want you to be able to grow. And to be an effective disciple of Jesus, we want you to be rooted in Him. And so being rooted in Him should be the main theme for our life. Because being rooted in Him is what makes us strong. That's where we draw our strength. It's from Jesus. He is the source of our joy. He's the source of our peace. He's the source of our protection, our provision, and our purpose. He's the source of everything we need. So we must be rooted in Him. Now, one of the key verses in uh, Colossians is chapter 2, verse 7. It says, Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. We have to let our roots grow down into him. Now, I love what Janet posted on the band page. She had posted that verse about the remnant and uh, she had a little picture there and it talked about how roots grow down, right? Downward. And fruit is upward. And that is a mark of a disciple, where you're growing down into Jesus and then you're bearing fruit. So, love that. Thank you for posting that. Jesus is life. Everything we need comes from Him. So now, let's review last week together, for those of you that were here. Who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul. The Apostle Paul did. Okay, when did he write it? 60 to 62 A.D., that's good. Yes. Okay, what was the main purpose in him writing the book of Colossians? Who remembers? <laughs> yeah. To combat heresy, that's right. Heresy was beginning to make its way into the Colossian church. And so the Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter from prison. And he wrote it primarily to combat that heresy that was coming in. And the heresy was all around uh, people needing special revelation or it was also attacking the deity of Jesus, him not being the Son of Man. Those were two components to that heresy. They call that Gnosticism. So this is what Paul is combating in the Colossians. So to, uh, last week we also talked about the seven characteristics of an alive and healthy church. Who remembers number one? You've got to have what? Oh, man, you're awesome, Jonathan. Compelling faith. All right, what was another one? Compassionate love. Okay. Confident hope. Good. Who else? Change lives. Good. Committed leaders. We're almost there. Two more. Constant prayers. Continual appreciation. Yep. So, Josh, we were just talking about that, right? Constant prayers. That's right. So that's my prayer for the remnant church, are those characteristics right there. You know, that we embody those, that we show those. And that's what Paul was talking about in our text last week. We covered the first 12 verses in uh, the book of Colossians. And so tonight we're going to study just two verses, Colossians chapter uh, 1, verses 13 and 14. And what was interesting about this is I had prepared or was in the process of preparing to speak on, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 verses. But I was like six pages into the study and I hadn't gotten past the first two verses because they were so rich. So all that other stuff, that'll be next week. So we're going to focus on verses 13 and 14. And I've titled our message today, Rescued. Rescued. Who wants to be rescued? Yeah. I do. Now, last week when uh, it was time to read the text, I don't know if any of you guys noticed, but I just skipped right over it. 
I didn't even read the Bible verses last week. I just jumped in and started breaking it down. So I don't want to make that mistake today. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read it today. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. That's where we're going to be. Who remembers how we know where the book of Colossians is? What did I give you? I gave you a little tip last week. Go eat potato chips. Or someone else said, uh, God's, God eats popcorn constantly. Was that, was that you? Okay, there was another one about uh, God eats peaches and cream. Was that you, Janet? And then, Janice, you had one, didn't you? Go eat popcorn constantly. Something like that, right? I like popcorn. Popcorn is good. So however you remember it, that's just a tip for us to know. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we know where that book is. Cool. Okay, so here we go with our text. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now, many people don't understand the gravity of the predicament that we're all in without Jesus. This is the first point that I want to drive home today, is that to be forgiven, we have to see our desperate condition. That's your first blank on your handout, desperate. Okay? We all have a problem that none of us can fix. Because without Jesus, there is no rescue from darkness. Without Jesus, there is no transfer to his kingdom. Without Jesus, we are separated from God forever. And if we're not in the kingdom of God's Son, then we're in the kingdom of darkness. Clearly from our text, there's no middle ground. You can only be under the authority of one of those two kingdoms. The idea that you can believe in Jesus as your Savior but not submit to Him as your Lord, man, that's not even biblical, and yet we have so many people that live their lives like that. You're either in the kingdom of God's Son under the authority of Jesus, or you're in the kingdom of darkness under the authority of Satan. It's that clear from our text. Jesus is either Lord of all in your life, or He's not Lord at all in your life. There can be no middle ground. And unfortunately, there are far too many people who do not see the desperate condition that they are in without Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And listen, these can be really good and nice people. They can. They can be faithful to their wives or to their husbands. They can be loving to their children. They can be people who are responsible and work hard in their jobs. They can be good neighbors. They can be patriotic people who love this country and then follow all the rules and the laws. They can be people who give lots of money to charity. They can be people who love others and do good to them. And they can even be good members in the church. But if they're content to live in sin, or are still blind to their sin, then they are still in the kingdom of darkness. That's what it comes down to. They're still in the kingdom of darkness. If these kinds of people do not see the true condition that they're in as the Bible describes it, They won't see the need for the gospel. And they will be content to continue living just as they are, not even realizing how desperate their condition is. To be forgiven, we have to see our desperate condition. Sadly, there are many who teach that you don't have to worry about the kingdom of darkness. Or you may have people that teach about the kingdom of darkness as if it doesn't even exist. So just go ahead and keep living how you're living. No need to worry about it. There's no need for you to change. You can have your own life and you can have Jesus too. 
That's what's being taught in some places. And you know, the Bible warns us that the closer that we get to the end, the more and more deception there's, there's going to be. Deception and those who deceive are multiplying every day. Janice, we were just talking about that, weren't we? This is why it is so important for us to know our Bibles. When we know our Bible, we know Jesus. And when we know Jesus, we know the truth. And when we know the truth, the truth sets us free, doesn't it? Jesus came to rescue us and to transfer us into his kingdom. But to be forgiven and to receive that rescue and that transfer that our text talks about, or that Paul talks about, we first have to recognize that desperate condition that we're in. We have to see how desperate things are without Jesus. And the truth is, there is a kingdom of darkness. It's real. Put that in your blank. It is real. Let no one deceive you about this or try to deceive you into thinking that you could never possibly end up there no matter how you live your life. How we live our lives does matter. We cannot live for ourselves and live for Jesus too. We cannot serve two masters. There is only one master. There is only one king. There is only one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he is waiting for us to say, yes, I believe in you, and I'm all in. He's waiting for that. The kingdom of darkness is real. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus described the kingdom of darkness as outer darkness, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's outer darkness because that's the darkness that's out apart from God, because God is light. And when we're not with God, we're in darkness. That's the outer darkness that we're talking about here. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 48, Jesus describes this place as hell, where there is unquenchable fire, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 and Matthew chapter 25, verse 41 say, it is a place of eternal fire and destruction, forever separated from God. In Luke 16, we learn that it's a place of torment and it's final. There is no way to go from hell to heaven or from heaven to hell. Both heaven and hell are final destinations. You can never go from one to the other. And everyone has a final destination, either eternally separated by God in sin and hell, or we're united with God through forgiveness and salvation in heaven. And you know, this is serious, because sin is serious, and sin separates. It separates us from a holy God. And the only way for that separation gap to be closed is through Jesus. He is the only solution to our desperate condition. Now, why am I going on about the kingdom of darkness? Why am I going on and on about the kingdom of darkness? You guys are waiting for some joy, aren't you? I know you are. But because, it's because of this. Before you can truly understand and appreciate how good the good news is, we truly need to understand how bad the bad news is. I love how Billy Graham puts this. He said this. He said, if we had more hell in the pulpit, we would have less hell in the pew. Think about that for a minute. Amen. We need the whole truth. Don't give me just the good parts that are going to make me feel good. I need the whole truth. While we don't know all the details about the darkness that Paul mentions here in our text, we know that it's horrible and it's hopeless. It's a place of great sorrow and suffering. It's a place worse than death, darker than dark, and there is no escape. So we know enough that it's not a place that any of us would want to go. 
But sadly, there will be many who end up there. There will be many. The kingdom of darkness will be full of people who either did not understand the desperate condition that they're in without Jesus, or they simply didn't care. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14 says this, The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. See, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. Verse 14, But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. I want to make sure that as many people as possible find the narrow gate. To be rescued from our desperate condition, we have got to find the narrow gate. You know who the narrow gate is? It's Jesus. He's the narrow gate. He is our rescuer. We cannot rescue ourselves, and no one can rescue us either. He is the only one who can do it. But it takes faith in him alone for us to be rescued. Our rescue is dependent upon him. It's dependent upon a relationship in him. And sadly, there are many who do not understand this or simply outright reject it by the way they live their lives. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, I believe that a great number of people are going to die and go to hell because they're counting on their religiosity in the church instead of their relationship with Jesus to get them to heaven. They give lip service to repentance and faith, but they've never been born again. So that's some strong words, isn't it? How religious we are or how many rules we think we need to follow will never get us to heaven. A relationship with Jesus is the only way. That's the only thing that's going to do it. If people truly understood the severity of what is at stake when it comes to the darkness Paul is talking about here in our text, people would run to Jesus. The kingdom of darkness is not a place anyone would want to go if they actually knew the truth. And Jesus is that truth. And if we've placed our complete faith and trust in Jesus by believing in who he is and what he did, then he rescues us from this darkness and he transfers us into his kingdom. How does he do this? How does this happen? Well, Paul tells us in our very next verse, he tells us that who there is Jesus. Jesus purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This leads me to the second point that I want to share about how to be forgiven. We first have to see our desperate condition. And second, we have to accept God's solution. We've got to accept God's only solution. Jesus is God's solution for our desperate condition. He is. I need a table right here so I don't have to walk back and forth. He purchased our freedom and he forgave our sins. And you can think of it like this. We were all at one time or another in the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus invaded Satan's territory and he purchased our freedom with his very own blood. Some of us who served in the military, you can think of it like this. Picture a war going on. All right, there's a battle. And Jesus goes behind enemy lines. And he goes behind enemy lines and he goes to find you. And he purchases you, right, with his own blood. That's what he did in order to rescue us and transfer us into his kingdom. Okay? That's how he does it. Now, purchased our freedom... That's how it's rendered in the New Living Translation. That's what I've got on the screen. But if you look at it in the New King James Version, it says it it this way. In him we have redemption through his blood. To redeem someone means to purchase them back. 
and set them free. That's kind of like in the days of slavery. You'd think about how slaves were redeemed. They were bought back so that they could have their freedom. Same thing going on here. We were in slavery to sin. And Jesus purchased us back. And this is what sets us free from the penalty and the power of sin. And you know, forgiveness and redemption, those two go hand in hand. Jesus redeemed us by purchasing our freedom with his very own blood. And then to forgive, well, that means to send away or to cancel. That's what that word forgive actually means. Through Jesus' death, God canceled the debt of our sin. The word says that he sends away our sin as far as the east is from the west. And you know, this is an amazing truth because our debt was something that you and I could never, ever repay. We could never do it. Praise the Lord that Jesus paid our debt. And as a result of it, God will forgive our debt. So he purchased our freedom. He forgave our sins. But this forgiveness, it's not automatic. Put that in your blank. It's not automatic. It's available. It's available for everyone. But we have to choose forgiveness. We've got to choose it by accepting God's only solution to our desperate condition. And that choice is just like what I was sharing with you in Matthew 7 when it talked about those right, who are on that wide road and they're going to hell because they've chosen that way. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's not automatic. So to understand how we can accept this solution, I'm going to share it. Uh, I'm going to share how this is done using that discipleship tool that I passed out to you, that handout. That's what we're going to be going over now. And again, this is in page 115 of your book. If you've got a discipleship curriculum book, it's in the appendix. And um, this is really important because this tool is something that you can use if you were ever sitting down with someone and you wanted to share the gospel with them. You can draw this out, and this can be your way in which you share it with them. You can either memorize the scriptures so that you know it, or you can mark it in your Bible. You could even have a cheat sheet, whatever you need to do. So I'm just going to walk through how you would use this tool. And this will explain how we can accept God's only solution. Okay? So the first thing that you want to do is you want to draw a horizontal line on the right side of your page, just like I have here on the screen. And right above that horizontal line, you want to write the word God. This is step number one. Okay? And then below that, we're going to add our verses and we're going to add our bullets about what those verses mean. And I'm going to take you through that. But God created us with purpose. He wants us to be in a relationship with him so that we can enjoy all the fullness of him. In John 3.16, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. So in the first part of this verse, we see that God loves us. In the second part of the verse, we see that God wants to give us eternal life. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, there's a contrast going on here. The thief, right, that's Satan. And Jesus, on the other hand, he wants to give us life while the thief wants to just steal everything. That's the difference there. And so Jesus desires for us to have abundant life. He does. That's what the text is telling us. He wants us to have an abundant life, but... This doesn't necessarily mean what many of us might think, right? Abundant life doesn't mean that I can get everything I want. A lot of people have that mentality that I should get everything I want, kind of like name it and claim it. That's that prosperity gospel again. 
No, the kind of abundant life that Jesus means here is it means that it's a life with purpose. It's a life with impact, with meaning, with peace, and with joy, and with love, and with acceptance. That's the abundant life that Jesus wants us to have. And so now what you do is you draw your horizontal line on the left-hand side of your, of your paper. And you're going to put the words, our problem, up there with it. This is step number two. So we've got God on the right side, and on the left side we've got our problem. Okay? You see, all of us have this problem that we cannot fix on our own. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of humanity. You, me, everyone has this problem, and that problem is sin. That word sin, it means to miss the mark. It's kind of like archery. If I was taking a bow and I was shooting an, an arrow and I missed the target, that's what sin is. I'm missing the target. I'm missing the mark. Now, we all fall, fall short of what God has intended for us. All of us have done what we shouldn't do, and we've left undone what we should have done. And you see what happens is sin is what separates us from God. So now you can draw those vertical lines on your page. And so what are you looking at now? You've got you on one side, you've got God on another, you've got these lines, and in the middle, you've got this chasm that's separating you from, you from God. And this is what represents that, that separation here. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That means that there's a penalty for our sins, and it's death. And there's two kinds of death. There's spiritual death, and there's physical death. This text is talking about spiritual death. All right? Our sin separates us from God for all eternity unless somehow we are released from paying that price. Because sin always has a price. Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed for men to die once, and after that there's judgment. So there's the physical death. You first saw the spiritual, now here's the physical in Hebrews 9. So after we, after we die, we face judgment for the sin we commit. Now this looks pretty hopeless, doesn't it, up to this point? Looks pretty hopeless. See that condition there? You got that little dude over there? He can't get over to God, can he? We cannot cross that big chasm here by ourselves. We can't get there no matter how hard we try. You know, going to church isn't going to do it. Being a good person is not going to do it. Giving of our time or our resources is not going to do it either. But you know what? God sees the hopeless condition that we're in, and guess what he does? He provides a way out. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 of the Bible, it says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast about it. You know, our best efforts cannot bridge the separation between us and God. It is only by His grace... His unmerited favor. That means undeserved. Our good works are not good enough. Now we come to our cool part. Now here's the joy. Are you ready? Here it is. Look at that. If you're doing, you're sharing this with somebody, you got a box of crayons and you want to color it a different color, man, feel free. I colored it purple because purple is royalty. Okay? You can color it whatever color you want. But isn't this cool? Now we've got a cross in here. All right? Now, you and I, we can't build this bridge to get from one side to the other. But God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be our bridge for us. Now you can write the words, God's solution. This is step number three. So we've got God, we've got our problem, now we've got his solution. Here we go. 
Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God loved us so much that he gave his one and only son for us to pay that penalty. And then in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You see, Jesus' death on the cross, his burial in the tomb, and his resurrection from the dead is the good news. That's the good news. Jesus literally died in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. He paid our sin debt in full. How did he do that? He purchased us with his very own blood. And this allows us to be with God now on this earth and forever in heaven because Jesus conquered both our sin and he conquered death by dying and rising again. That's the gospel right there. Now we can add the words, our response. So how do we respond to God's solution now? Each of us needs to respond to what God is offering. It says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So we've got to believe and we've got to receive. So to become a child of God, we first need to believe in who Jesus is and what he did for us. And then we've got to receive him by trusting in his sacrifice as the payment for our sins. Now, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. And he with me. Jesus is, what he's saying here is he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he longs to have that personal relationship with you. That's what's going on in this text. You see Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, He wants to have this personal relationship with you. So if you're here today, and maybe you've never made this decision, that you want Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, all you've got to do is believe and receive Him. And here's how you can do that. Here it is. This is the ABCs to accepting Jesus right here. You can use this when you're sharing the gospel with someone. First, you've got to admit... That's the A. We've got to admit that we are a sinner in need of a Savior, and we've got to ask God to forgive us and help us to turn away from our sin. That turn away, that's the repentance. That's what the word repent actually means, is to have a change of mind, go in a different direction. So we admit. The second thing we've got to do is believe. We believe that Jesus died for us, and he rose again, defeating sin and death. And then thirdly, we've got to commit. Commit our lives to following Jesus. That's being a disciple right there. Following Jesus, putting our total trust in him, and in his decision-making authority for our life. Now, you can do that right now at your seat. You can do that in a moment when I lead us in prayer here in just a moment. But listen to me. Don't ever, don't leave here without not taking that step. If you feel the Holy Spirit kind of prompting you right now, maybe it's time that you make that decision. It's not one you want to put off. I would encourage you, make that today, and your life will never be the same. So to be forgiven, we first have to see how desperate our condition is. Then we need to accept God's only solution, Jesus. And when we do, he will rescue us from the kingdom of darkness and transfer us into his kingdom by purchasing our freedom with his blood, and then he'll forgive our sins. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. 
we thank you for your truth. And uh, it is amazing when we step back and we really think about what you've done. Some of us have heard this so many times we almost get numb to it. But it's the power that saves people, the gospel. So if you're here today, and maybe you've not made that decision, but you feel Jesus prompting you now. You feel him knocking on your heart. And you're like, I want to make that decision. I've been waffling. I may even have him as my Savior, but I've not made him Lord. Whatever that is, but you want to say yes to him today. If that's you, I want to encourage you, slip up your hand so I can pray for you. Anyone want to make the decision to follow Jesus and commit to him today? Okay, others of you, the Spirit may be working on you because perhaps there's someone that you know that you know doesn't know Jesus. And you need the Lord to give you courage to walk in boldness so that you can share the love of Jesus with them. Now, the, the thing with this is, is uh, it, you don't have to be uh, a scholar or something like that to share the love of Jesus with them. I've just given you a tool. Uh, that is something that you can use. But it just starts with listening. It starts with loving. And it starts with continual follow up with these people that's what we've got to do so lord i pray that you would encourage us to walk by faith not by sight because it's not by what we see in the natural with our eyes sometimes we get discouraged because we're talking to people we're working with them and we don't see change like we want to say but your word we know that your word does not come back void and our job is to be faithful you said go and make disciples that's our mission and so whether we see the change on this side of heaven or not we will faithfully go forward and so lord give us that courage to do it We'll thank you so much for your word. We pray that you'd bless us as we go forward. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.